0: Elon even good for Worst big tech takeover ever. All right, welcome to the program. Happy Wednesday. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, and I want to welcome back to the program Stephen Wiley. Not the magician, uh, although sometimes people like to think he could be. He is the... uh, the director of the North Carolina House Republicans Caucus. Uh, I've seen you described as the campaign manager for 120 House races. Uh, Welcome, uh, Stephen. Uh, Would you consider that to be an accurate description for what you do?
1: More or less. uh, (laughs) Maybe professional cat wrangler. Yeah. Like that. Cat herder. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. So
0: uh, did you get any sleep last night?
1: I got a couple hours, yeah. Uh, it was uh, just uh, the anxiety and then, like, the build-up, and then all of a sudden just the crashing where um, I'm just you, – you can only refresh your computer screen so many times.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Uh, all right, so let me
0: ask with the uh, sort of the, the, the overarching uh, question, which is was there or was there not some sort of a red wave? Do you think there was a red wave or not in North Carolina?
1: I don't know is the short answer. I, I think there was, but I, I don't I don't really know because I've I, not really had an opportunity to dig in too much. Um, State Board of Elections, once results are certified, will we'll post precinct-level data, and we can see more intel about where the movements really were. Um, it seems like in North Carolina, we outperformed just about everybody, not in Florida. Mm-hmm. Florida clearly was the bright spot for Republicans last night, and you look at just the massive margin of victory that Governor DeSantis had. Um, and, but, you yeah, know, then you look at, at the congressional level across the board. In the state house here in North Carolina, we, we won 10 state house seats that Joe Biden won in 2020. At the U.S. house level, they've only won five seats that Joe Biden won in 2020. So there was clearly more of a whatever kind of movement there was for Republicans in North Carolina than there was nationally. Um, Now, how big that was, I I guess we'll we'll see as we dig in more into how some of those local races also developed. Um, But one of the bigger things to me is that a lot of the a lot of the bench for the Democrats in the House and the Senate the last couple of cycles have been pretty well washed away. And there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of up and coming talent left, uh, particularly in the House Democratic caucus.
0: Why do you say that?
1: While well, we beat all of them for the most part. <laughs>
0: well, all right. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, generally, and I, well, maybe specifically for yesterday, how difficult was it going to be at the outset to get that 72nd seat for the supermajority? Came up one short, and I think those are, that, that's kind of how it's it stands now. So, uh, how difficult was it going to be to get that final seat?
1: We knew it was going to be a challenge. We didn't necessarily know how it would be a challenge or where it would be a challenge we we had an idea that we were going to be able to flip um the seat up on the virginia line uh, Representative Terry garrison who admitted to uh, abusing his ex-wife a few weeks ago and that was a seat that joe biden won by 10 percent and our candidate won by i believe three percent last night um so we knew that that one was in play and it really became a question of with the way the court ordered redraw works as how many suburban seats could we hold on to? How many suburban seats could we then flip? We did flip a couple suburban seats, and we felt like we were in the ballgame in three others, and we came up short. And the three that we thought in particular were, were close. And part of that is it just Kurt. Per- I mean, it's only really, you know twelve hours removed from it, so it, it's hard to say what exactly happened. Sure, but my my gut reaction when I look at this is. We knew that there were there was the pre-Trump 2016 coalition that voted against Republicans pretty heavily in 2018 that caused all of those um, all those changes in the suburban seats in 2018, and some of them voted for Republicans in 2020. We didn't know how much they were going to vote down ballot for us this cycle. If it was anything close to what it was pre-2016, then it was going to be a monumental. Wipe out based on what we knew of the Trump coalition's enthusiasm, and there was certainly more folks that voted for us um, down ballot this go than in 2020 in some of those areas, but it just wasn't enough uh, with the way that the court ordered redraw worked out.
0: So uh, let's talk a little bit about the the, the maps because I see some uh, folks on the left complaining that the only reason. Uh, There is this uh, 71-seat majority in the House, and the supermajority over in the Senate was because of gerrymandering. That's the only reason. What do you say to that?
1: Well, the House Democratic leader, Robert Reeves, drew the House map. So we finished 425 votes shy of a supermajority on a map that was drawn by the House Democratic leader. So um, if they think that's a pro-Republican gerrymander, they might need to talk to the person that they put in charge of it. Um, and I I mean, that's, they, if that is a go-to reaction for them when anything goes wrong. Um, so it doesn't shock me that they still firmly believe that this is all because of gerrymandering because that it's easier to blame, um, the rules being rigged against you than to do any kind of self-reflection and soul searching.
0: So, um, speaking of that, you mentioned the trump coalition um and I'm assuming that you're talking about an anti trump coalition against Republicans
1: yeah I mean it, that's what that's what I see what I think likely happens uh, I mean there was abortion was never really an issue from what we could tell. I still don't think that abortion was a defining issue in most of these races, certainly along the margins in terms of the overall turnout, but it was number one driver was inflation. That's why we were in large part able to flip as many seats as we did. Um, and then from what we can tell, just looking at the results nationally and looking at the results here in North Carolina, a big portion of why the wave was not as big as people thought it was going to be. or thought it could be was because there seems to be this dissatisfaction with Trump and just his, um, uh, his, his recent actions and the rhetoric around that, and you, you look at um, look at Pennsylvania. You look at um, Florida and Georgia, and here in North Carolina, the the two Trumpier candidates, um, Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker. You saw Walker is going to a re, uh, to a runoff, um, and where Brian whereas Brian Kemp handling one against mm. Casey Abrams. Um, you see Dr. Oz lost to John Fetterman, who. We all know John Fetterman's uh, health struggles right now, uh, and then you look at see like Ron DeSantis and just that massive win in Florida last night, and you start to see like where are some of the differences. And then and we've got Congressman Bud, now Senator Ele- Senator elect Bud. He was the Trump pick, but he's not necessarily when you think of like who's a Trumpy person or Trumpy candidate. Congressman Bud is uh, he's not Dr. Oz or Herschel Walker. I mean, there's very different demeanors, um, and because of that, there's very different perceptions of who those folks are. So the the name of the game when you're trying to win an election in a, either a closed seat or a closed state is you want to persuade as many people to your side as possible, also motivating as many people to get out. And so there's this this push and this pull that you have where you need to, you need to motivate uh, lower propensity or less likely voters to show up and you know, pull, you know, pull the trigger for the home team, but you also need to persuade some of the, the squishier voters um, to vote for you. And so that, in some cases it means, you know, you're a better option than your, than your opponent, you, you know, Representative Jerry Garrison admitting to abusing his ex-wife. Clearly he was not a preferred option for a, the majority of voters in his district. That's one way to do that. Another one is just to be just a, per, a persuade persuasive personality, which is what we saw with Ron DeSantis, is that DeSantis builds his coalition by persuading people into it. We saw there was an uptick in the Puerto Rican um, vote share for DeSantis last night over 2018. Um, the Cuban vote share grew a little bit as well. Like, there's, they are growing their coalition in Florida, and we're not necessarily, from my cursory look, in other states, the coalition is not growing in that kind of way.
0: Mm. Is North Carolina's coalition growing like that, or does do the GOP have work to do?
1: We definitely have work left to do. Um, I, I, there's clearly a desire to grow the coalition. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would not. It, it's harder for us to evaluate North Carolina numbers than, than Florida's because Florida posts theirs throughout the day. Mm. Um, and Florida's, after all, after all that drama in 2000, Florida's actually a a model of. Um, Good election reporting. Um, now here in 2022, so it's harder harder to get a good grip on that. Um, I mean, we we do have for the first time um, a Native American Republican elected to the state house or to the state legislature. Period. Um, Representative Lytton Fonteno, and Wilson is black, so there's you know there there is still like an effort to have our House Republican Caucus not just be the party of white people, because we do not have a desire to just be the party of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're, there's definitely a desire to continue to grow that coalition. And I think when the dust settles, we'll see how successful we were with that um, and, uh, and where we need to grow.
0: Yeah, well, I would love to have you back on once you know, the data gets crunched and uh, we can do like a post-mortem or something on, on how it all went down would happy, be happy to do that. All right, Stephen Wiley, the North Carolina House Republican Caucus Director. Thanks for your time. Congratulations on the 71 wins. And uh, we'll talk to you later. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Thanks again to Stephen Wiley. Not to be confused with Stephen Wiley, the magician. I always say that, because if you Google Stephen Wiley, Stephen B. Wiley, it, it comes up A magician, which is probably helpful if you're trying to, you know, not have people find out who you are and that sort of thing. Like, you can work behind the scenes. (laughs) With a name like Pete Callender, I'm not so lucky. Uh, All right, so, hey, the Charlotte Auto Show, it is back for the 29th year. It's at the Charlotte Convention Center. It's going to start on Thursday, November 17th, and it's going to run through Sunday, November 20th. And on the 17th, the first day, Thursday, um, at 3 o'clock, you can go hang out with Brett Winterbull. Well, I mean, he'll be doing his show, but you can sit there and and, uh, watch him. Maybe chat with him during the breaks or something. Uh, It's Hero Day as well. Yeah. Free entry with ID for those who have served in the military, active or uh, retirees, veterans, Uh, first responders, teachers, uh, medical community personnel. You guys get in free. They got dozens of manufacturers displaying all the latest makes and models so you can compare and contrast. Bring the whole family. They got the Family Fun Zone which I understand is pretty fun. There's a whole zone about it. Yeah, go check it out. It's at the Charlotte Convention Center, November 17th through Sunday the 20th. Sunday, 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 Sunday. All righty. I have a couple of uh, more guests lined up. We're going to talk with Dr. Chris Cooper from Western Carolina University. Going to head out west to... um, Chat with the, my old colleague in Asheville. Find out what happened with the, uh, there was a mayor's race in Asheville between a socialist and a communist. We'll find out who won. And uh, also the <laughs> the race to replace um, uh, Madison Cawthorn, who lost in the primary. Uh, so we'll get an update on that and some doings out in the western part of the state. Um, I also spoke with Dr. Andy Jackson again. He is... Uh, with the John Locke Foundation. We'll take a listen to that interview. I spoke with him earlier this morning. He was uh, he had to get on the road. He had to go uh, deliver a speech. And so uh, I just recorded a, an interview with him. We'll take a listen to that after 1230. Um, but Senate Republicans won their supermajority in the Senate. Well, that makes sense because they're Senate Republicans. Right. They won 30 seats. It's a 50-member chamber. 30 seats is the three-fifths or 60%, right, in order to override The governor's veto, they had 28 seats, so they did pick up their two seats. That was their magic number, two. The House magic number was three. They won 71 seats, so they picked up two, but they did not get the third. They came up one seat short. North Carolinians voted for balance and progress, Roy Cooper wrote on Twitter. I'll continue to work with this legislature to support a growing economy, more clean energy, better health care and strong public schools. However, according to WRAL, with such a narrow margin, House Democrats could face pressure or be given incentives by Republicans to override a Cooper veto. There are a lot of Democrats taking solace today in this one seat, uh, shy of a supermajority performance, but I'm not so sure that that's actually that that plays out the way you think it's going to play out in every circumstance. And I don't know how it plays out either, but there are a lot of people that are like, yes, no supermajority. And I understand you want to, you know, find some bright spot in what otherwise was an election with, like, no bright spots in uh, North Carolina for Democrats. I mean, the seats they won, they were expected to win. There were some seats that Republicans could contest, but it wasn't assured that they were going to win them. And on the statewide seats, North Carolina once again proving again, that um, that it it is a right-of-center state. They swept every single judicial race, every statewide race, as a matter of fact. I think there were, what, seven of them on the ballot, seven statewide seats, and Republicans won every one of them. As it plays out with the veto, um, a couple things. Democrats fall in line behind Governor Cooper when he vetoes something. They... They fall in line and refuse to override the governor's veto. Why do they do that? Well, in some cases, they oppose the underlying legislation, right? Makes sense. They voted against the bill. It passes. Cooper vetoes it, comes back, and they're like, I still oppose the bill, and so they sustain the veto. Makes sense. But what about the times when Democrats vote with Republicans? And we have seen this several times. Republicans have voted, or sorry, Democrats have voted with Republicans The bill passes with bipartisan support, it goes to the governor, the governor vetoes, it goes back to the House or the Senate, and then all of a sudden those Democrats that voted for the bill, they flip, and they sustain the governor's veto instead of overriding it. Why do they do that? Well, some of them have flat out told us why. They say it's to protect the power of their party leader. They don't want to undermine their governor. Okay, that's like benefit of the doubt. That's like the most uh, charitable explanation. One of the others is that they're afraid of the political ramifications that would be uh, that would be coming against them, because Cooper has punished his fellow Democrats. He threatens them regularly. This goes back to HB two. Remember when HB two was passed, and uh, lawmakers like Joel Ford uh, from Charlotte, Democrat, Black Democrat. Uh, Senator, and he was working with Republicans to try to get a fix for HB two. And Cooper told all of the Democrats in the General Assembly, "Don't you dare! Do not fix HB two. We want that to stay in place. We want the boycotts to continue. I'm going to keep on whipping up anti-North Carolina sentiment inside and outside our borders." Right. He's going to punish working class people that depend on the tourism industry. He kept on doing those things because it benefited him personally, politically. And so Democrats fell in line. Well, almost all of them. Joel Ford got in trouble. So there were uh, there were Democrats that wanted to see it fixed. But Cooper told them not to. He said you will have no play. Uh, Yeah. He told the lawmakers, you'll have no role whatsoever in my administration if I beat Pat McCrory message received democrats blocked any fix and then as soon as they uh, as soon as cooper wins what happens they get a fix right same thing has happened with the budget vote they just punished uh, state senator kirk deviere uh pri- he got primaried by val applewhite in in uh was this fayetteville cumberland county and val applewhite they had to spend like Three quarters of a million dollars to to get her over the finish line. Because Kirk Devier had voted for the budget. Because Cumberland County got a bunch of money. And that angered Cooper. And so Cooper punished Kirk Devier. Got him ousted from office. Those threats only work if Cooper has power. And if Cooper's power wanes because he's not going to run for re-election... He can't raise money if he's not raising for re- uh, running for re-election. He can't punish you if he's not getting into another office. I'm not so sure that his ability to have his veto sustained, I'm not sure that that persists. But we'll see. Dr. Andy Jackson is the director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Jackson. How are you? Oh, doing great. How are you doing? I am doing all right. So uh, first, I'll just sort of start at the uh, 20,000 foot level here. Were there any any big surprises when you look at the North Carolina results this morning? Uh,
2: Not especially big. Basically, things went the way you expected them to go. Um, I think you might have uh, seen a little bit of a surprise in that district uh, the 13th district with uh wiley nickel beating bo hines in a very close race um there were a lot of republicans i heard that thought that uh, bo was going to be able to pull that one off but other than that uh, most of the races went the way folks were expecting them to go
0: i I've seen some analysis some of uh, the talking heads and such that uh, are saying you know candidates matter quality candidates matter, and it's something I've believed for a long time like especially like in the gerrymandering redistricting debates candidates do matter, and I wonder if we saw some of that if they're not if those analysts are not you know off
2: the mark <laughs> No, I think that that does uh, have a lot to do with it. Um, I'll give you an example. Far, far away from where you are, way up in the northeastern part of the state, uh, Bobby Hannig, who is considered a very good campaigner, he ran in a state Senate district that we rated as a D plus five. So Democrats usually, you know, everything else being equal are expected to win by about five percentage points. He ended up carrying that seat uh and so if you nominate good candidates people that know their districts people where the people in those districts know them they have a chance of beating expectations and certainly in the case of Hines, where he had been shopping around for districts all over the state uh, up until he finally settled on that one uh in the 13th in the triangle area um he wasn't able to pull that off because you know, he wasn't a credible candidate in the minds of a lot of people and it's unfortunate for him I mean, maybe he'll have a political career in the future, but not the way he's running things now. Uh, Sorry. So we're talking about some of the
0: congressional races. Then let's look at those maps. Uh, Did they turn out as you uh,
2: expected due to the way that the maps were drawn by the court? Strictly speaking, yes, because even that 13th we had as a D plus one, something that a Democrat would barely win and a Democrat barely won in that one. So certainly in the House, for the most part in the Senate, for the most part, I'm state Senate, sorry, for the most part in the state House, most of them went. There were a few that went against expectations, but with the kind of tailwinds that Republicans had across the state, uh, you would expect them to pick up a couple of those normally lean Democratic seats. And that's what happened last night.
0: All right. So uh, in the legislature, I've seen people refer to uh, what they have in the House because they the, the Republicans did take the supermajority in the Senate, but not the House. They fell one vote short of that. But I've heard it referred to as a functioning supermajority on a vote by vote basis. Can you give me any
2: insight as to what that means? Well, what that basically means is that on any given bill, uh, Republicans can put together something that will appeal to one Democrat. And this is certainly going to be the case with budgets, as we saw last time around. Um, They're going to be able to appeal to one or two Democrats, get enough to pull them out and vote for a bill. And this happens. You know, you don't expect 100 percent loyalty all the time. It's just going to take a lot of that kind of backroom dealing that people say they hate so much. But, you know, that's the grease that uh, makes politics keep rolling. Yes, the sausage being made, as it were. Um, mm.
0: uh, so, uh, Governor Cooper was celebrating the fact that he still gets uh, a veto with that that has some power in it. We've seen that he, you know, pressures his Democrat colleagues in the legislature to uh, uh, to vote with him on the vetoes to not override the vetoes. In fact, that right that prompted him his entrance into uh, one of the primaries against uh, uh, Senator Kirk. right uh and and Mm -hmm. to primary him because kirk was not seen as sufficiently loyal particularly on a budget vote to your point um and so we look at the next two years roy cooper is sort of a lame duck but he still has that veto power but does that power wane if he's not up for re-election and he's not seeking another office what kind of power uh does he have then to enforce uh that loyalty
2: yeah, it will probably diminish. Now he's still going to have it to a large extent because you know, the power there is the ability to hurt you. The next time there's a pr- the primary comes around, he has a demonstrated ability to do that. Um, he is he may still have in some capacity running for Senate or something else um, a chance to continue a political career, and he certainly has influence within the party uh, to pull levers. Uh, how long that's going to hold up when people? You know, are starting to look for you know their kind of exits when the post-Cooper world uh, is going to remain to be seen. I'd say he's probably going to be able to keep Democrats in line for the most part during the 2023 long session. But when we get into 2024, when Democrats are looking uh, at how they're going to function without Cooper at the top of their order, I think that'll diminish then.
0: So Republicans are celebrating uh, what happened down in Florida, um, a a wipeout of Democrats in in Florida. And uh, North Carolina is getting some national attention because of uh, the Republican performance uh, as well. I think Ohio as well is getting some love uh, uh, from that. But it it wasn't what we all expected. Right. This idea that the Republicans were just going to mop up the floor with the Democrats, that uh, voters were very mad about inflation and the economy. And it, it didn't
2: seem to materialize. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think people folks need to take stock because, I mean, Republicans did really well. I mean, super majorities are not something that comes every day. Um, and so and Republicans did sweep the statewide offices they won in the Senate. They won all the North Carolina Supreme Court. So a whole branch of government is going to get into Republican hands in the spring Uh, they have solid majorities in the court of appeals for those judges Um, and really when you look at what happened with the house because it's really just that and with congress congress those districts were drawn by the judges essentially to be a democratic protection plan to prevent them from losing a lot of seats in an expected good year for republicans it achieves that goal and frankly republicans in the house lost the supermajority. not This time around here in November, but way back in February, when they wrote maps that were really they were more friendly to Democrats than even the plaintiffs were requesting or the plaintiffs witnesses said was the normal range of results um, uh, for a a evenly drawn set of maps. And so it the Republicans kind of gave away seats. And, And I think that District 73 in the House is an example of that. It was more Democratic leaning. And it had to be. They, have, they cobbled together the most Democratic-leaning areas of Cabarrus County. And the Democrats, we said, we're probably going to win that by 3% on our calculations. They ended up winning it by one5 So if they would have had uh, not so much of a surrender mind, so to speak, uh, on some of these districts, Republicans could have gotten that supermajority in the House, too. And people have been talking about the super Republican sweep.
0: You uh, you have written about this before. We've talked about it before. But that example you just gave uh, is sort of indicative of it, which is that North Carolina is not really a 50-50 state, right? Uh,
2: No, it's not. And it it, it hasn't been for for a while. So, I mean, North Carolina is roughly a 52-48 state if you wanted to pin a number down on it, which means that Democrats can win occasionally. But you're looking at Republicans winning over the last decade have won about 60 percent of statewide elections in North Carolina, which is, by the way, the number you need to win a supermajority in the legislature. Um, So these results are kind of in keeping what you would expect. Plus, Democrats tend to be more concentrated in the city, so the geography doesn't help them as well. So the idea that, um, you know, the Republicans really had uh, a bad night is probably not correct. It just wasn't as great as some people were expecting it to be. Uh, so no red wave or yes, red wave. I would I would say this was pretty much it's hard to say that it wasn't a red wave election. I think Republicans have gotten so used to being in a majority or and a supermajority that they think anything short of a supermajority is a loss. Um, but in our constitutional order, this is the kind of stuff you expect Let the voters choose. Um, and Republicans did really, really well. They just didn't do as well as they had hoped. Dr. Andy
0: Jackson, the director of
2: the Civitas Center
0: for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. There's an interesting fight on Twitter over the last uh, half a day. Between Travis Fain, who's just insufferable, he's a reporter at WRAL, and Nathan Babcock, who is a consultant for the North Carolina Senate candidates on the Republican side. And uh, Travis Fain was pointing out, as I was going over this uh, that race, the Kirk DeVille, the, the sitting Democrat senator, voted for the budget and angered Roy Cooper. So Roy Cooper went and uh, got Val Applewhite to run against him in the primary propped her up with a bunch of money and endorsements and stuff. She beat Debbie And then she beat, she did win her race yesterday against uh, Wesley Meredith, but she won it by like four points and they had to spend a lot of money. And so Travis Fain was just insufferable. Uh, he says on Twitter, Cooper's endorsement of Applewhite in a primary over a sitting Democrat Senator pays off as the governor's folks always said it would. Four point win is a lot. See, this is what Travis does. He dresses up his fawning praise for Democrats, and sometimes he offers them helpful advice, but it's all done under this, this journalisming kind of language. Like he 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 masks it, he cloaks, he cloaks his feelings with this language that almost seems like he's not really taking a position, but he has totally taken a position because when you see the body of work. And it's just this constant drumbeat of the praise. Because what is he saying here? Cooper's team was correct. They were so right. And I love this. You'll hear this, uh, this back and forth here. So Nathan Babcock comes in and says a four point win in a Biden plus 11 seat. Yeah, Biden carried this district by 11 points and Applewhite only won it by four. And then Travis says, well, there is that, I guess. But as the mayor of Macon, Georgia, told me long ago, one vote is a landslide. Babcock then says, wasn't the point to block a supermajority? If that was priority number one, Cooper's gamble unquestionably cost him the big prize. Exactly. Fain then says, "Well, I don't know that that was the point of that particular move. You can only win a district once. I understand they spent money there that could have been spent elsewhere, but was there even time left to buy in Wilmington? That's the new Hanover race with Michael Lee, who just beat Marsha Morgan. That was one of the seats that they had to keep. Republicans had to keep, but it was a plus two, I think, Democrat seat. He says, anyway, I will 100 percent defer to you regarding the Senate map strategy. But I and a lot of other reporters were out here saying, I don't know about this val Applewhite gamble. And and she won by a comfortable margin. I love this idea that. So he's like throwing this out there like, oh, you know, uh, we had our concerns like, oh. Well, that and uh, quarter will get you a phone call, I guess. Right. I love having this argument with the guy whose job it is literally to get senators elected and has done a pretty darn good job of it and just got them a super majority. And you're you're challenging him on this because you got caught praising the Democratic uh, governor's crew for primarying a Democrat over a, a veto override vote. Babcock says the whole point is what did it get them? The Democrats spent one and a half million dollars in a Biden plus 11 seat. So keep this in mind, by the way. Keep this in mind. They spent one and a half million dollars on this one race for a state Senate seat. So when you hear Democrats complaining about how the National Party didn't support Cheryl uh, 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 Sherry Beasley, right? And they should have pumped more money into Beasley's campaign and they ignored the campaign and all this, right? The Democrats were trying to pull out wins in state's that they thought they were going to lose, that they had already had a, uh, an incumbent in, or that that were more easily flippable than North Carolina because the state, or sorry, the national Democrats know what apparently state and local Democrats here do not, which is North Carolina leans right. It hasn't sent a Democrat senator, what, one in the last, what, 30 years or something, Kay Hagan, one-termer, right? Before that, it was John Edwards. How long ago was that? My goodness. Haven't voted for they've voted for one like one democrat president once. Barack Obama one time since Carter. I mean this is not you think of all the US Senate races over all of these years. They don't have a lot of statewide victories there. They just got wiped out in the Senate race this time, in the judicial races as well. So when you hear these complaints, like, oh, if only we had had more, I'm going to see the same complaints echoed too. again, just like Travis Fain offers the praise. Dr. Michael Bitzer from Catawba College, he does the same sort of game on Twitter. That's why I love Twitter. Because I I can read people's tweets, and after a while, I know their heart. I, I, know, where, I, I know what their philosophy is, which is, like, I, I don't say that as an indictment. I'm not making fun of them or treating them with hostility because of it, but it's good to know. Right? It's good to know. They're lamenting the lack of funding. But what Babcock is pointing out here is you had the money, but Cooper went after a political, personal opponent. Right? He went after Devin because he wasn't sufficiently loyal to Cooper. He was too loyal to his own district. That's what Cooper did. But you will not hear Democrats talk about that. You will not hear them compare Cooper to Donald Trump. They'll bash Donald Trump. Right. For caring more about himself than his party or his country or whatever. But you, know, you won't hear it about Cooper. The whole point was keep the Senate from going super majority. They spent one and a half million dollars on a seat that Biden won by 11 points. And do you think other people like Valerie Jordan or Marsha Morgan that they might have liked that money? Of course they would have. The primary point was to remove a disloyal Democrat. That was the point. It wasn't it wasn't to make sure that a Democrat kept the seat. It was to get rid of Devier. The secondary objection was once you get rid of him, then it's to make sure you hold the seat. And that's why they poured one and a half million dollars into that seat. And they didn't prevent the supermajority. <laughs>